So hey, and welcome to Tolkien We're Friends. Today we're talking about the chapters Mitty Meetings and the Council of Elrond for about an hour, 20 minutes, or about 20 minutes of the movie starting at an hour and 24 minutes. So it's like an hour and 24 minutes and... to an hour and 44 minutes. So that's if you're wanting to put this on right afterwards, that's where you would start. So uh, we have Anna back today. Huzzah! Hi, I'm back. Uh, how was how was moving? Is everything going okay? It's 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 going. You know, yeah. moving is one of the worst experiences uh, that you know people do like every other year for some reason. Um, yeah. But it's it's coming along. Thanks yeah. for asking. That's great. Well, we know your internet's working, so we're all happy about that. Because no matter what state of chaos your house is in, at least the internet is working and we can have you back. Yes. That's <laughs> it was one of the most important things to get fixed straight away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you do without... Clean. Ew. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So, back to regularly scheduled programming. Uh, today's chapters, we see Frodo healing in Rivendell. We're reunited with Bilbo. We hear some more songs, um, some partying, celebrating Frodo's healing, and then we meet with Elrond's council and where they decide what they're going to do about the ring. But before we get into it, earlier this week, and this is probably where you're going to start seeing like how delayed the podcasts are from their release <laughs> versus what week happens. Um, but earlier this week, we found out that the new Game of Thrones show, House of the Dragon, has a new premiere date of August 21st. And this is a little less than two weeks before the premiere of Amazon's Rings of Power series on September 22nd. So, Anna, can you tell us more about the House of the Dragon? And am I right in thinking that this is also a prequel? Yes, it is a prequel. Um, it is taking information from the book Fire and Blood, which is exclusively about the Targaryens. And the the whole book covers like a bunch of stuff about the Targaryens, but the show The House of the Dragon is specifically going to go over a period of time uh, where the Targaryen family who was ruling at the time um, mm -hmm. was kind of like in battle with each other. They call it a civil war. And I believe they also refer to it as the Dance of Dragons, um, which is a fun way to say fighting and death and murder. <laughs> <laughs> between the targaryen family yeah that's kind of like the war of roses in england like that's like a family fighting over the throne but war yeah. of roses yeah it sounds so nice but, but yeah that's exactly what it is their people are fighting for for the throne uh in that hbo series wow so do you know why they moved the date? I don't. And I don't know if, like, I read the release date wrong or if it's confirmed so. that they did uh, push it back. I have no idea why they would choose to move it. Um, they have been very inconsistent as of late with release dates, like, for seasons, like, one through three of Game of Thrones. They were pretty, you know... Yeah, like late spring. The, and then they had to delay uh, for one of the seasons 
later on, like seven or eight, because they needed to film more in winter. Mm. So I, I just, they just chose to, um, to, chose to move it. But it does mm. kind of seem like they're doing the epic battle of the geeks with. <laughs> Yeah, it does. Lord of the Rings. It's so funny because we were just talking about how the house, like, based on what we knew at the time, that the House of the Dragon would be ending right before the Rings of Power starts. And we talked about how, you know, like, generally people kind of bounce around from streaming platform to streaming platform. Um, But now they're airing practically on top of each other. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think Game of Thrones, it's still going to be Sundays and then. Yeah, it'll as for sure as, be Sundays. And then as far as I can tell, Rings of Power will be on Fridays. Um, so I guess it's not like it's not like they're battling over the same time slot like we would have seen in like previous years of TV. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you have a premiere of like, I don't know, Walking Dead on AMC at the same time as something else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Yes. Uh, like a huge show that like everybody wants to see but then you have to pick and choose so it's it's not that problem per se um but it is interesting as far as like you won't necessarily be able to just say maybe you hop around from platform to platform and like you only have a subscription for a certain amount of time and then you cancel it and go to be the next show maybe um but i don't really know if they'll have that as an issue like do you see any issues about these two shows airing at the same time i i really don't because i think that people who like consume this type of content and it's pretty much the same content it's not like you're talking about like lord of the rings and star wars Mm -hmm. which you know one's about space future stuff one's very mystical you know fantasy world Mm -hmm. um, where you can think of like wow if they really were to battle out they're separating uh fandoms because they're so different game of thrones and lord of the rings are they really different enough will people just end up watching both you know Mm -hmm. probably i don't think it's too big of a uh, of an issue but it seems it feels like a statement it doesn't it and i'm trying (laughs) to figure out what that statement is because it's like I mean, so they're both prequels, they're both and prequels. I, I mean, like, Rings of Power is, like, thousands of years before and This one's, like, Rings. 500 or so years before the events of yeah, Game of so Thrones. Like, good chunks of time before the series and, like, events that we are more familiar with. Um, and it's, it is kind of interesting because there's been a lot of... Um, talk about how rings of power came to be and it was like jeff bezos looking for the next game of thrones and then Mm. to have literally the next game of thrones happening at the same time (laughs) it's kind of interesting it's almost like maybe hbo is saying no there we're there is is only one (laughs) yeah that only we can say what the next game of thrones well netflix kind of was marketing that too or i don't know people were doing that for netflix when the witcher came out Whereas The Witcher was going to be Netflix's Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It almost makes me think like, is the, you know, I do see some Lord of the Rings fans like disliking Game of Thrones for like violence and nudity and like sex stuff. Um, 
not not I don't even know what a percentage of that would be. I don't think it's a large percentage, but you know what I'm saying. But like, yeah, I can just, see why someone would dislike Game of Thrones for all those reasons. Right. Um. So there's probably some folks that won't overlap at all, but it almost makes me think that people we're just gonna have like a fan explosion of us like freaking out on Sundays and then we freak out on Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Because we're going to be watching both, right, Andrea? Of course! Okay, I was making sure you got to talk about Game of Thrones, too. (laughs) Honestly, one of my favorite memories is, like, when we would watch Game of Thrones together. Yes. It's just so... Yeah. We're we're supposed to be enjoying these things at the same time, is what I'm saying. Of (laughs) course. So, like, that's my feeling about it. Like, it's fine. But, like... My brain is going to explode, maybe. Oh, no. It'll be interesting, like, because we know... Is George R.R. Martin involved in this new show? Mm. I heard that he might be, but I cannot say with any real confidence if he is or not. Like, obviously, he gave them the rights to the... Up to the book. Right. Let me just see. Yeah, we're just real quick. Yes, I do believe he is involved. Okay. Well, that's kind of cool. Because I wonder. Yeah, he's an executive producer. Because there's not going to be like. I wonder how much they'll try to reference or like show how it I'm guessing they will show how it kind of leads to Game of Thrones later it's it's kind of I think you're probably in the same boat because you know it takes place so many you know years before the main events that we're well aware of Um, but how many seasons are there going to be you know how much time are they going to take to lead uh up to that right Um, because for game of thrones og we're talking eight seasons for how many books were are currently out there's five books currently out okay and do you remember like when they i know they deviate start deviating from the books but like how many of those seasons are equivalent to like how much of a book um so for seasons one well it's it's also hard because like Season they or book three, yeah, they, they mix them up, but it starts deviating around season six. So, six, seven, and eight are like all fresh, mm. interesting Game of Thrones okay. content that's mm-hmm. not as heavily, is not heavily based okay. on that source was material. Ish, a season of book, ish, ish, yeah. And but for this, this is based on one book. That yeah. will have multiple seasons, I'm assuming? I, I would assume Supposedly. so. Supposedly. Yeah. Well, honestly, that is more than what Rings of Power is technically built on. So, as far as how much of a book. Because they're mm-hmm. only saying that they have, they have the rights to Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, slash the appendices. And, you know, most of it is probably going to come from the appendices. I think that they probably, since they're working with the Tolkien estate, they'll probably get access to other kinds of co- stuff that they may want to include. 
um, or at least they'll have to check with them to make sure they're not like messing with anything major. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they can extrapolate multiple seasons out of like a bunch of outlines, right? Then sure. So it, yeah, and the 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 biggest connection with the House of Dragons, obviously, other than like the families involved. Um, is that this is supposedly when the the Targaryen house starts to decline. Like, the cray-cray comes out and, you know, they're becoming weak from the inside versus everyone else just hating them. Um, Still plenty and plenty of years before Robert decides to, you know, rebel. But... um, that's, that's all we know that's right interesting. Now. So they're kind of setting up a history of madness in the target Because it's because I don't think the Mad King, he wasn't like the only crazy Targaryen, right? No, like, no. That was, so that was kind of like, oh, he's just like extra crazy. Yeah, he was like extra cruel. Mm-hmm. And people were like, we've been at this for a while yeah. Should we not? <laughs> Should we not? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'll be really interesting. Um, this show might turn into a House of the Dragon slash Rings of Power analysis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Depending on, you know, our life schedules and all of that. But Yes, of course. I'm down. If I you're... want to be down and I yeah. want to talk about this all the time. Yeah. But, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, stay tuned. Maybe we'll just have like little 15 minute bonus episodes that are just like <laughs> yeah. real quick. What happened this oh my week? God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm also kind of, I mean, it's a big, it's a big book. And now there's lots of pressure for me to finish uh, Fire and Blood before April 21st, oh. um, which I'm excited about. Why before April? Well, April, when I thought April oh. was the release date gonna try to finish it before the show came out but now i have a couple more months um and since they're doing more of the timeline i'm now i'm just like waiting until they get to that point Mm -hmm. um because i haven't reached it in the book yet yeah interesting well that'll be fun yeah i know i keep telling myself like that i'm gonna reread the silmarillion before the show comes out uh like rings of power but i don't know you've already done it a few times you seem pretty got that knowledge on lock i've i know like the big things and um it'll be interesting to like if i just maybe focus on like knowing the appendices really well and then being like whoa they definitely are going off of what they told us they were you know what i mean like being Mm -hmm. able to catch those things um so i'm not super worried about it but Mm -hmm. i did i do tell myself like oh yeah yeah you'll read it again and then i'm like "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah stay tuned for more we will definitely um if we you know i'm interested to see when they drop a trailer for house of the dragon Mm-hmm. Like that's more like, like a trailery trailer, yeah. yeah. Not just a t- 
Yeah, we've got, <laughs> we've gotten like a, teasers for both of our shows now. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, okay, are you gonna like give us a sneak peek of like the plot? Yeah, like not just like everybody being like cute. Yeah, that's... please. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what the timing is for that kind of stuff normally, but I mean, they're just probably gonna hold on to that. And like let's, right see, let's think. Um. It's not like like when like the Super Bowl and things like that happen. You can like expect uh, big trailers. I know, isn't that? Didn't the Rings of Power drop yeah. uh, during the Super teaser. Bowl? Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of, like if there's any other statewide things happening where they're going to release. Yeah, Probably I really not. don't know. Like. Yeah, I can't think of like a major event where everybody's definitely watching TV. You know, yeah. maybe it'll just be like right before. And like, honestly, do they need to? And we're gonna watch it. I, I could, know. I could get no more trailers until September, and true, still be waiting there, like with my popcorn. I know. <laughs> so. Yeah, I just. I'm just really, because there's so much up in the air, like, and they've done several Vanity Fair articles and stuff that has given us a little bit more, but I would like, I don't know. But, you know, what I want doesn't matter, I guess. But But I will reiterate that Witch King of Angmar spinoff, once again. We're waiting. if, If you don't give me a trailer, then can I get a spinoff? <laughs> Before the prequel comes out, I already need commitment yeah, for I... the spinoff. <laughs> Please! <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah, that's what I want. Um, so I guess we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming with the caveat that if we think of anything else, we will mention it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so when we Last saw Frodo, he had just collapsed after making across the ford on the way to Rivendell. Note that we do not make it all the way to the end of the DVD. Um, if anyone remembers having to change discs after Elrond names all of the fellowship. That's like always how I think of it. It's like halfway point. He names all the fellowship and then we change discs. This, you know? yes. um, but instead we basically end as soon as Frodo says I will take the ring to Mordor though I do not know the way. Um, so I think we could just start with some of the um, bigger like some of the things that really stood out to me when preparing for this week. Um, uh, so like Frodo wakes up you know overall I would say that this part is pretty good as far as sticking to the book obviously every time pacing changes things are sped up we see more of Arwen which I think is great um and we finally get to see you know how um Gandalf escapes from Orthanc with Gwaihir the eagle um which is beautifully done like the whole moth catching thing and whispering to it, I think is really cool. I wouldn't really trade it for anything because the whole reason that Gwaihir shows up in the books is because he runs into Radagast, one of the other wizards, 
um, when he is kind of doing his investigative work, like right before he tells Frodo, like before he uh, runs off away from Frodo for a little bit. And Radagast is like, oh, I was looking for you. The nine have crossed the river. I think when he says that, he means like the Anduin, like the river near Gondor. Um, otherwise, like I don't think crossing the eyes and near Isengard makes sense at that point. But uh, so that's my guess because he doesn't specify. But um, he says Saruman says he'll help if you, but you gotta go see him like ASAP. And he's like, but I'm, and he's like, I'm gonna, I'm out though because the nine scare me. And Gandalf is like, whoa, whoa, thanks, but before you go. Because Radagast is a friend to a lot of birds and beasts. Um, and he says, like, tell your animal friends to send word to Gandalf and Saruman. Like, let news be sent to Orthanc. And so when Gwaihir shows up, he's actually there to tell Gandalf that uh, Gollum has escaped from the elves and some other stuff. Mm. And you know, Gandalf hitches a ride because of that. And so, but by cutting Radagast out, you still need some kind of mechanism to get... How does he know how to go save Gandalf? Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) So I just think the... Something about the moth, like, it's, like, really unexpected. Like, me just thinking about it, like, I have no clue how you would come up with that idea. You know, like, what the genesis of that is, but it works so well. This is a little, like, deep, but I like it because it shows that, like, Gandalf's magic and, like, him being, like, good and closer to nature, and Mm. there's, like, this connection there, so it's, like, this really beautiful symbolism compared to, like, Saruman, who's working with the orcs who are literally cutting down trees, digging these guys out of the earth, like, it's very much, like, just destruction and... Um, removal of the earth and then he is like chatting with a like lunar moth or whatever they're called I don't know the exact type of that I don't know I've heard that it's some kind of native New Zealand moth is it a New Zealand moth? I think so I don't know the name of it but it's cute uh, I'm just gonna real quick Mm because now I need to know moth in I almost said Game of Thrones (laughs) Game of the Rings (laughs) yeah I just (laughs) Lord of the Thrones. <laughs> um, who is the moth? What species of moth? Yeah. Oh, moth was previously believed to be an Antheria polyphemus. However, as the species is a North American native and filming for the series took place in New Zealand, it is now believed to be a male Apodiptera eucalypti. Okay. Very pretty. Whatever it is. I know. I love me a fuzzy moth. Um, so, yeah. I, I think that that was just, like, really cool. Um, That's really smart. Just juxtaposition. I, yeah. Because it it shows, like, Saruman is bad. Mm-hmm. He'd be doing the bad stuff. Yeah, that's so Gandalf true. Gandalf chill with the earth. Yeah, I, I love that because it's very true that um, the thing about Saruman that is where you can really see like kind of a manifestation of his switching sides is through like his embracing of like this industrialism like mechanical stuff you know things that aren't very organic um 
so yeah that is a very good point about how the moth shows that that gandalf is more in tune with the ways of middle earth than saruman now so if we just want to stay on the gandalf saruman scene for a second um i so we've already shown so in the book essentially the council of elrond is just everyone going back and forth and sharing like all of their news that they have like the dwarves elves of mirkwood gandalf bilbo frodo essentially explaining exactly how they got to where they are today um and like why everybody is there but so like everything that we have seen of gandalf and saruman up to this point isn't explained until just now but we've already in the movies we've already seen like you see when he first arrives in Isengard and like we do a little back and forth to kind of check in on him occasionally up until and just in this part we don't, we see him escape and having a few words with Saruman before jumping on the bird. Um, but there is a part when Gandalf first reaches Isengard that I think Christopher Lee and Ian McKellen would have absolutely destroyed like i think it would have been so so good Mm -hmm. i i don't think we get to see enough of saruman in the movies and that makes me sad because christopher lee is so so good he is so so Um, good but there's this whole exchange that they have where you know saruman reveals his treachery and he's so they're so sassy to each other and i think we could have there totally could have been room for this you know like obviously you have to cut out Saruman trashing Radagast because he's like making fun of him for falling for Saruman's lie that he Mm. told Radagast. I mean, it wasn't a lie because the nine were coming, but he had no intention of helping, obviously. Um, But there's a part, so like we know that Saruman is currently the white, you know, and he is, um, his his robes are white, Gandalfs are gray, Radagasts are brown. Uh, And then later, Gandalf comes back as the white, but I think that it's also that in the book, Saruman says, For I am Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker, Saruman of many colors. And then Gandalf notices that his robes, that while they had at first appeared white, they were woven of all colors and they kind of like uh, boggled your, your eyes a little mm-hmm. bit. And so Gandalf responds, I liked white better. And... <laughs> Saruman sneers, white, it serves as a beginning. White cloth may be dyed, the white page can be overwritten, and the white light can be broken. And then Gandalf says, in which case it is no longer white, and he that breaks a thing to find out what it had, what it is has left the path of wisdom. And there's more, there's like some more sass. Um, <laughs> they could totally pull that off. <laughs> I know, it would have been so cool because especially like, and I know that the costuming department, like, did think about this. Like, hmm. I, I, I do know that in the, you know, like, all the extra stuff, there is a part where they talk about it not being, like, quite white, you know. Um, so I think this would have been really cool. Uh, a cool moment for costuming and also just for these two to have a little bit more um, banter. Be- and to sh- Because, like... Christopher Lee does such a good job as Saruman, but I don't, he doesn't get to do these, like, super mean 
lines that are in the that Gandalf yeah. relates to everybody <laughs> that I just think he would have nailed, you know. And also, sassy Gandalf is what I'm here for all day long. Yes, yes, more sassy Gandalf. So that's how I feel about that scene. I think that they're that the movies did a really good job, but I do think that they could have. There was we could have seen some more sorrow, if you ask me. So so in the council, so like many meetings, there's some stuff that I do want to talk about probably towards the end of the episode, but it's really mainly a party, and um, they eat, they have a feast, and Frodo catches up with Gimli's dad, Glowen, and then Bilbo recites some poetry, and then they go to bed. And then the next day, they have this really long conversation where it's like Elrond explaining why everybody's there. Um, And that's one thing that I think is particularly different is that uh, in the movies, I think that it's implied that somehow Elrond has... Like, in the first movie, it's implied that Elrond has kind of called them there or asked them to be there. Um, and then in Return of the King, we see in the extra scene, it's not in the theatrical, but there's an extended scene where Denethor literally says to Boromir that Elrond is calling a council. But one thing that I think is important is kind of like this theme of like divine intervention with the events that are going on in Lord of the Rings, because, you know, like we said earlier with Gandalf and Frodo in the Shire is Gandalf's talking about how it's important to know that there's not only just forces of evil at work here, that Frodo and Bilbo were meant to have the ring. And he's like, and that may be an encouraging thought. So that's like kind of part one of that. And then if you think about it, Gandalf tried to get Frodo to leave in late June, early July, but his letter got lost, um, did not get sent from Bree to tell him to leave. So, Frodo, therefore, waits and goes by his original plan to leave around his birthday. You know, obviously gets pursued by the enemy, but he arrives around the same time that the dwarves arrive, that some elves from Mirkwood arrive, and Boromir. And it's very interesting because they all come for very different reasons, and they just, it all just happened to be, like, around the same time. Hmm. And, and I feel like that's very, like, on purpose, but not, like, not on their purpose, but, like, you know, somebody else having a, a hand in all of it. Yes, yes. Because um, uh, Elrond says that they're called there to figure out what to do with the ring, but called, I say, though I have not called you to me, strangers from distant lands. You have come and are here met in this very nick of time. By chance it may seem, yet it is not so. Believe rather that it is so ordered that we who sit here and none others must find counsel for the peril of the world. Which, you know, I think it's a, it's an interesting distinction between the way the books kind of keeps, it refreshes this a few times of like things um, seemingly going wrong, but very much working out you know, against these better judgment and plans. Um, And so then they go through and they kind of talk about why everybody has actually shown up today. 
What is your impression in the movie? Like, why everybody is there? It, it feels like Aron has called everyone to be like, shit's going down. We need to decide what to do with it. Um, these are all the big players, you know, at mm-hmm. hand. And then that's, they go from there. Yeah. And I think, you know, for like movie purposes, that's like fine. But I do think it's interesting um, because the reason they're all there is also very intertwined. So like Gimli's there with his dad glowing because a servant of Mordor has come to Erebor like a, a couple of times to say, we want, we know that you know Bilbo. We know that he took the ring. Like they don't say it in so many words, but essentially. Uh-huh. Um, and we want you to give him to us. So, and then if you do that, we'll give you back some of the dwarven rings that Sauron gifted a long time ago. But they're smarter than that, and they're like, they refuse to answer, essentially. So they come to warn Bilbo that this has happened, and to figure out, and to seek advice from Elrond, because that's like his main thing, giving advice. Um, And then Legolas is there because, I think we mentioned this a few episodes ago, but how Aragorn and Gandalf had essentially tracked Gollum together uh, a few years back, and that's how Gandalf found out about what Gollum knew and, like, found out the truth about the ring, essentially. Um, So what had happened was once Aragorn helped capture him, and then Gandalf questioned him, and then they left him in the care of the elves of Mirkwood, like, to be a prisoner. Where Legolas is Yes, Exactly. So this is these are the same elves that they pass through on their way to the Lonely Mountain and the Hobbit. Yeah, where um... Thorin and all of them get captured for a little bit. Yeah, and uh, what's his face? Legolas's daddy's there. Thranduil, yeah. He's perfect in every single way. <laughs> yes. Let it be known. <laughs> I just love him so much. <laughs> yeah. Yes, so he was essentially in the care of Randowill and his people mm-hmm. um and there and so they explain at the point where they explain that they had questioned Gollum and they're like yeah but he's safe in Mirkwood and then Legolas goes ah he's not <laughs> they're like we're here to tell you that we lost him um so essentially they had because Gandalf had told them that there may still be some hope for Gollum to not totally like uh throw him over you know what i mean to like that there is hope for his cure so they um felt bad for leaving him in their dungeon like in their prison area essentially which is under the ground and they didn't want him falling back into his old ways even though i don't think at this point there had ever been a a not old ways um so what they would do is they would kind of like let him climb a tree every once in a while and there was one day where he didn't come down and so they and they didn't feel like going up after him because he can like hold on to trees really good and uh then they get attacked by orcs and he's able to escape and so it it felt very planned and they did track him but then his tracks went past um dolgador which is like sauron's old fortress and i think he definitely i mean he definitely has a bunch of evil dudes keeping a hold on it so mm-hmm. they were like we don't They're know like, that nah. yeah exactly <laughs> it's not worth it yeah so then but what's funny is Gandalf is like oh well <laughs> but you know when you think about it if Gollum hadn't escaped and then hadn't figured out 
where Sam and Frodo were going and followed them, then the ring wouldn't have been destroyed. There you go. So it's it's I I like that Gandalf is very like chill about it. He's not like oh shoot. He's just like, all right, well, whatever happens happens. <laughs> and it's like yeah, you're right, Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf's chill. We need more Gandalf. We all need to act like Gandalf more. <laughs> He's just like, well, we tried. Um, but I think that Gandalf has a feeling about Gollum this whole time, so he's like, mm, okay. Mm. Um, and then Boromir is there because he's also seeking Elrond's advice after him and Faramir have this dream where, of course, there's a poem in it. Um, where a voice says, Seek for the sword that was broken, in Imladris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken, stronger than Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for a Sealdor's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. So it's referencing uh, Aragorn's sword that's broken in half, the shards of Narsil, and it's talking about the token, it's the ring, um, and at first, once he hears them it kind of explain and he tells them this, he's like, he's assuming that it means the doom of Minas Tirith, but Aragorn's like, no, doom as in, like, whatever, like a, like a fate, like whatever's gonna happen next, you mm-hmm. know, and we have a part to play in that. Um, and, you know, he shows them a sword and he's very much like, it's, it's, a def- it's definitely a different approach than the movie where... Legolas is like, oh, that's Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and you owe him his your allegiance. I and, like that. I know. <laughs> and Aragorn's like, chill, down. dude. Yeah, he's like, don't need to go there. I'm not ready for that yet. But, you know, that kind of goes back to what we've been saying in previous episodes. Like, Aragorn in the movies is definitely a more vulnerable character, probably more relatable character. He has more of a character arc than what he has in the books because, you know, Tolkien already has decided that Aragorn's growth, essentially, as a person, has happened when he was between 20 and 40. Now he's, like, 80-something. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. He's, yeah. So, because since he's descended from Numenor, he gets to live longer. Longer, okay. But not as long as, as the like Numenorians. The yeah. And not even as long as the Numenorians used to. Oh. Like, I think the first Numenorians got to live for, like, 500 years. But I think Aragorn dies when he's, like... I think he gets to rule Gondor for 120 years? Or does he die when he... No. Yeah. Something like that. There's 120 okay. is in there somewhere. I believe you. <laughs> but you get it. He's He gets to be old. Um... So those are, I think, some of, like, the major changes. As, and, like, you know, uh, Elrond in the movies, he talks more to Gandalf specifically about um, that he was there when Isildur didn't throw the ring into the fire. But he, but pretty much everything that we learn in this chapter, they all say to each other out in the open. And one thing that I do think is very cute is that... Um, Bilbo tries to volunteer to take the ring first. Oh. Bilbo isn't even in the council in the movie, which, like, I get it. Like, he doesn't have to be, but I think it's very nice for his character. I mean, it's just kind of like he kind of says it jokingly, but um, 
he's very much like, oh, I I get it. I started it. I got to finish it. And then again, I was like, if maybe if you had actually started it, that we would make you go. But no, the ring is passed on. Don't worry about it again. But I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I didn't have it in me anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I do think it's sweet. Um, and says something a little bit about Bilbo and uh, probably hobbits in general, um, which is kind of the next thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, so there's a point where, uh, that I don't think is really touched on in the movies that gets brought up here, where, um, we've kind of established how Bilbo and Frodo are pretty different from other hobbits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of want to talk about how throughout the story, hobbits are actually pretty special as a whole um, and are really kind of representative of all of us who feel like we don't or can't make a difference just like in the our day-to-day. Um, but I think there's a lot of points in the story that kind of try to remind us that that is exactly the thing that is really important that that is the thing worth protecting like your kind of day-to-day regular degular stuff okay so so i'll i'll bring my textual evidence into this now um so within many meetings gandalf is telling frodo that rivendell has enough power to withstand the might of mordor for a little while because Frodo is like, he wakes up and he's like, are we safe? Is Rivendell safe? You know, he's been I mean, he went lot. through it, so he's a, yeah. little... <laughs> a little shaken up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then Gandalf also adds that other places have power. And then, of course, you know, your mind probably thinks to like the other elven strongholds in Middle-earth. Maybe even Minas Tirith and places like that. But he makes sure to add that a different kind of power can be found in the Shire. And that all of them will probably be under siege soon if something isn't done. Mm -hmm. And I think that the power in the Shire can be read a few different ways. um, But we're already starting to see the resilience of hobbits and how they seem to be able to resist the ring in certain ways. But I think it's more than that. And I think that they kind of try to hint at this in the movie with Elrond saying to Gandalf that, like, already, you know, it's impressive that Frodo has come so far, still bearing the ring and has shown, like, an extraordinary resilience to it. But that's really just, like, a comment on Frodo. So I want to kind of, like, broaden that up to hobbits in general. Um, So, for example, when we get to the end of the Council of Elrond, there's some of my very favorite quotes from... Gandalf and Elrond, ever. Um, So one of the elves says, What strength have we for the finding of the fire in which it was made? That is the path of despair, of folly, I would say, if I didn't know better, you know? Because nobody wants to correct Elrond. Um, And they kind of give this stuff to Boromir in the movie. Oh. But, But then, like, he says that it's... He says stuff about folly and, like... You don't just walk into Mordor. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember that. So he gives that, they give that vibe to Boromir instead. Um, Not the exact quote, but. Yeah, I I remember what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, But Gandalf responds, despair or folly. It is not despair, for despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. We do not. And he goes on to say that Sauron is very wise, but that he essentially only judges people by their desire for power. And he 
will not think of anyone trying to refuse the ring or seeking to destroy it. And I would say that this puts pretty much all hobbits um, out of Sauron's reckoning and that um, that in itself has got to be like a special power, you know, to like, it's not that they're just so small to not register for Sauron, you know, and I think that it's more so that they have such like almost an opposite value system to Sauron to not only resist the ring, but they have, but they don't even value the same things. Like they don't care about power. They don't even have like a government system. They like, we literally talked about in like probably one of the very first episodes about how they're more concerned with eating and drinking and gardening and stuff than in dealing, sticking to their own kind of, thing that mm-hmm. uh so they're they're not concerned about that stuff at all and even their birthday parties like they give presents away on their own birthdays you know it's mm-hmm. a very like generous giving sweet kind of culture and i'm like like what if like if the world was mostly hobbits and like ha- had these kinds of values would sauron even stand a chance <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because they, like, every time we see someone get the ring, like, obviously Gollum, you know, his heart was a little corrupted already as far as, like, his value system. But when we think about just Hobbit, like, there's always going to be an exception to the rule, right? Like, but as we see them in Lord of the Rings, it's very, like, chill. And I wouldn't say that everyone has, every single one would have the strength to carry the ring, especially as far as Frodo does. But, you know, just in thinking about the way that they prioritize things, I think it's, um, it's pretty, it's a significant difference from the rest of the world. Um, And then one other one of my favorite things that Elrond says here is about the quest in general. He says, you know, they're deciding, like, it's got to be destroyed. Um, And essentially, pretty much comes right after Gandalf says this despair thing um and he says the road must be trod but it will be very hard and neither strength nor wisdom will carry us far upon it this quest may be attempted by the weak with as much hope as the strong and this is obviously like a reference to like physical strength and weakness um yet oft is the course of deeds that move the wheels of the world small hands do them because they must while the eyes of the great are elsewhere and no one at this point no one has been cited or asked to join the fellowship at this point. There is no fellowship yet. Um, but it so clearly to me means that a hobbit has to be involved. <laughs> like small hand, like small hands isn't like just physical hands. I mean, in this case it can be, but people that aren't really on the radar of the great people that are moving life forward every day, you know, these are the people that have to take on the most essentially while the eyes of you know the wise or the powerful are thinking about other things Mm -hmm. i think that puts and i think that it's like sauron of course is up there thinking about evil greater things but then that i think that also includes people like elrond and denethor who are you know thinking about their own realms their own business um and the implications for the rest of the world where people like hobbits or even some of the Rohirrim even who are maybe a little bit disconnected from like 
bigger picture stuff. You know, you could be saying that they're doing the things that have to be done to for people to survive, for people to... And it's also, like, I think that the power of the Shire, this is the power of being ordinary. Like, this is, um, while they're not counted among the very wise or great, the part that hobbits play has to do with that ordinary stuff that brings us joy. Like, if you think about some of the defining characteristics of hobbit life, it's eating, smoking, farming, for more eating, um, growing things, you know, like, gardening um and being very family oriented they're very like interested in their own genealogies and their family history and Mm -hmm. um doing things to and they're all kind of interconnected like family tree wise so like you know they're all just like there for each other in that kind of way Mm -hmm. so my point here i guess is that yes like not everyone goes on to be a hero Um, passed down in great tales as we kind of hear Sam talk about at the end of Two Towers Um, you know those who are exceptional are not actually the point like the work of the everyday the ordinary the little things that bring us joy these are the things worth protecting and ultimately everyone that does this work is kind of a hero in their own right and like these little so so like maybe we don't tell stories about them but they're the reason that we're here Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. because not everybody gets that recognition yes um and this is also why i'm kind of sad that the scouring of the shire is cut from return of the king so this is kind of where we see it come full circle where the hobbits um there while sam and frodo and mary and pippin are off saving the world at large the shire um gets under attack by orcs and kind of gets taken over like you've got some hobbits doing and it it ultimately leads back to Saruman being a jerk Um, of course yeah because he eventually makes his way to the Shire I think just out of spite at that point Um, (laughs) and you know recruits some orcs and orc like people and you know makes them do essentially like uh What's the word what we were talking about earlier? Like, and tries to industrialize the, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the Hobbiton and the Shire. Um, you know, there's stuff that he messes up with the mill and just, like, tears down trees and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, essentially, what he did at Isengard, but in the Shire. Um, and, I, and I really love that moment because it's where you see all of the Hobbits. Like, once that spark is kind of lit by Frodo and Mary and Sam and Pippin, like, they they're not gonna take it and you know they're like this is why are you guys like putting up with this and they stand up to them and then that kind of lights a spark in everybody else and they all band together and are able to you know overcome that evil in their own backyard uh but i think that this kind of reinforces that idea that like we all have the ability to stand up to evil and do something good even if it is just in our own neighborhood damn i feel like that's the point that's like the power of the shire that Gandalf is referring to that like even if it's not something that we're thinking about actively doing all the time I think that we are doing it Mm -hmm. obviously exceptions to the rule apply but if you're coming at things the way that you know with like a good heart and with like prioritizing these very different things and these like 
things that bring you joy. I think I think that's where the I think that is what Gandalf is referring to when he's talking about that different kind of power in the Shire. Thanks. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a bunch of layers that you don't get in the movie. Yeah. Not at all. I know because I feel like while in as far as characterizing the Shire and Hobbits in general in the movie, we're thinking about like they're setting it up to show this innocence, particularly for Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, like showing how hard it's going to be from them, and therefore their success and their resilience is that much more like recognizable by the end. But by keeping Hobbiton untouched and, you know, there, there's several points where Tolkien says that, like, Hobbits have never had a place in the big stories before now, you know? They just have, like, their own little family stories, their own little myths and legends, but they don't play into like, the bigger narrative until now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it also, like, takes away from like the hobbit success as like a people by not kind of showing the shy like the scouring of the shire and um but you know like i i get it on one hand but i do wish that i think they could have thrown in the line about like the different powers of the world you know that rivendell is has some and you know lorian and minas tirith and places like that have another and Mm -hmm. the shire is special too and I don't even think that that's necessarily something that would be picked on, picked up on, like, most of the times that I've read the books. But I'm like, you know, we're doing a podcast. and <laughs> Going a uh, little deeper. Yeah, I'm thinking about it a little bit more than I probably ever have. But mm-hmm. I do think that there, you do get the sense that there's something special about Hobbits in general, but I can never really put my finger on it. But I think that it is, like, while there are moments where we've talked about where, like, you know, the hobbits kind of to their own detriment in some ways aren't involved in the rest of the world and almost kind of, like, shun it, you know, and are Mm -hmm. uh, suspicious of it. But I think that their general, like, culture, like, the way that they've kind of built their society and the things that they prioritize... Um, do set them apart and give them a kind of magic that isn't maybe recognized all the time. And I think that that's why Gandalf is so interested in hobbits to begin with, because he didn't have to be, you know, like Saruman became interested in ring lore and the ways and the works of the enemy and you know, um, he says that Radagast is a master of shape shifting and changes of hue, and but while also being friend to birds and beasts and stuff. Um, and then Gandalf is really focused on the different peoples of Middle Earth, but he obviously has a soft spot for the Shire. He's there mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. just chilling, and um, you know, not always like researching or whatever, um, just hanging out. Yeah. And so I think it's like, you know, if we think about 
Gandalf's ultimate purpose is to unite the peoples of Middle-earth and to try to overthrow Sauron. I mean, ultimately, that's what all the wizards are supposed to be doing, is helping to overthrow Sauron and in whatever way that they can, but uh, Gandalf seems to be the only one that got the memo and, <laughs> uh, and really did some overtime for that task. But I think that they're... You know, like, before Bilbo, you know, I don't even think the elves really, you know, Elrond talks about, like, that Frodo and Bilbo are really, like, his only experience with hobbits. Oh. And um, wouldn't really have known about them without Gandalf's intervention. So, I think that it's, it's significant uh, that we mainly see the story from the point of view of hobbits. And I think it's significant that um, they have this resilience to the ring. And and, it, and we clearly see it in that, like, Bilbo and Frodo do have, like, a special resilience to it. But then when you think about it, like, Gollum never becomes a wraith, you know? He survives for, like, 500 years with it. And he still, and with Gandalf's insistence of his of hope for his cure for his redemption in some way i think that that also shows that he there is still part of him that is not over, you know that is not fully evil that is not fully succumbed to the ring mm-hmm. and i think that that says a lot about even if a hobbit who maybe has um maybe isn't as good as frodo or even sam you know, like, they still have something special about them. Like, they still have this resilience. And I think that it's it's not just that they're built different, if you want to say that. I, I think it's more about, it's like... It's more than that. Yeah. You know, it's more about, like, their values and who they are as a people. It's, it's it's just so, I mean, I wouldn't say so different than what they give off in the movies, but it's it's definitely more on, like, they don't really care about anyone else, and they are physically tinier, um, mm-hmm. so they can, they can be sneaky, and that's why, you know, Bilbo was chosen uh, in The Hobbit, and right. that makes Frodo successful in Lord of the Rings. Not that there's some, like, bigger... Um, bigger message um, to give or, uh, you know, specifically about the hobbits, but it may, it makes sense. It, it, it tracks. So, you know, if you're listening to this random listener, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, like handful of listeners, I should say, maybe, uh, you know, let us know what you think. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. So, I, maybe I should put those links somewhere. I mean, they're on our website, TolkienWithFriends.com. Uh, maybe I'll leave it in a description somewhere. And then you can tell us what you think about Hobbits after this episode airs. Eventually. But yeah, that's pretty much all that I had. I mean, the overall, I think we're continuing to see, particularly in Fellowship of the Ring, where they get the highlights right. They get the big points correct like if you just watch fellowship of the ring 
do you need to read the book? No, but you do need to listen to this podcast. There um, you go. <laughs> That'll fill in all of the lovely gaps. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like, because not every little thing is essential, but, and I understand that, like, Tolkien's style isn't for everybody, but I really like it. <laughs> and I will continue to tell you about why I really like it. I think once we get to Two Towers, Return of the King is where we're going to see, like, the bigger deviations. Mm. Like, even when I wrote up um, our schedule for this, um, the the way that they intercut in the movies becomes a little bit different. Um, and so we're going to try to follow that as much as possible. So our chapters are going to get mixed up. We're not going to be able to do it, like, you know, just following along in the book like this. Um, which I get. They're trying to keep you aware of everything happening all at once whereas in so they're all together in this book right but then once they start to split up it becomes half the book being Mary Pippin Aragorn Legolas Gimli half the book Frodo and Sam so do, do they do they divide it up like that or is it like Frodo Pippin Frodo Pippin like no it's it's like first like half, literally half, half the book yeah first half is the um like two towers for example is aragorn going after Merry and pippin to save them from the orcs uh and then Merry and pippin getting to fangorn and then it stops like i think he leaves you on cliffhangers usually and then cuts to what frodo and sam have been up to that whole time mm-hmm. But then Frodo and Sam get a little bit farther in the timeline, and then it has to backtrack a little bit at the beginning of Return of the King. Gotcha. Because when, like, we can talk about it later, but there is like a timeline in the back of Return of the King in the appendices, and it's like crazy how many things are all happening at once, and not everything is listed in the timeline, but it does get a little like whoa. Because I almost divvied up the chapters like that, and then I was like, well, too much work. We're just gonna follow the outline that the movies gave us yeah makes so sense. that if so that if you only know the movies you can still follow along fairly well understood yeah so okay so where does that leave us for next week i know um one of the chapters is the ring goes south actually i'm just gonna go to my timeline because you guys just look at it just reference it just look at it <laughs> why don't you just look at it andy <laughs> okay so we we basically get we exit Rivendell, and we get to Casa Doom. So we have the Ring goes south, a journey in the dark, and the Bridge of Casa Doom. We've got three chapters next time, y'all, because there is just. I think it would be weird to not finish Moria all in one go. That makes sense. So that's essentially we leave Rivendell, we get through Moria. And um, so that'll be that'll be a fun one. So that's what's the plan for next week. Sounds good. So we'll see you all there. Um, and then I'll be sure to link some of our social stuff in the description or just leave the URLs for those if they don't actually link. Um, copy pasta, people. Copy pasta. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, that's that is the Council of Elrond, and thank you all for being here on this wild ride that is the Lord of the Rings. 
Anna just waved if you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> <laughs>